0: Thank you. It is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for allowing me to join you in worship this morning of our great God. I was reminded as we were singing together as one body uh, how much a privilege and how much a grace it is that God has extended to us to meet together in worship. I have a lot of friends in a lot of different parts of the world that can't experience this together and serve and worship God together openly. And it's a, a great privilege to be with you here. I'm actually from the Boston area. Well, no. I I grew up as a missionary kid, but I have roots in in the Boston area. My parents live here, and my dad's going to come pick me up after we're all done this afternoon. I'm going to go spend a couple days with them. They live out in Acton, Boxborough. My um, father's a pastor at a Chinese church in Lexington. So I was really excited to drive from the airport to this campus and see all the Chinese storefronts, and then to see some of the Chinese signs around this very church itself. Um, It warms my heart and reminds me a lot of home. But I, was, I went to high school, uh, mostly, the first half of my high school experience was in the public school system in Singapore, where we cane people. And if you think that's kind of weird, my job as the head prefect of the school was to decide who got caned. And then, I know, I was really popular. <laughs> and then uh, I came back with my family to America, well, I came to America when I was 16, spent a couple years finishing up high school in Acton-Boxborough, the public school there, um, and then, since then, I've relocated to Chicago, and I call Chicago my home. But Boston, back in the day, was my home. And it was actually, I'll share a little bit of a story here before we get going. Um, it was a girl that led me away from Boston. A girl that, um, you're laughing already. That's not the joke. <laughs> we really liked each other. Um, we, um, we were in a relationship in high school, and she loved the lord and we both wanted to serve the lord and we really liked each other and she was going to wheaton college and i never heard of wheaton really before i never considered it as a school but i thought gee i want to go where she's going uh, and so i started thinking about wheaton college and my dad told me son that is the dumbest my dad not very sensitive guy that's the dumbest reason you could pick your college picking on a go i mean what's wrong with you kid and um they my parents were dead set against it but you know the head says one thing, and the heart says another, and one of them's going to win out, and often my heart tends to win out before my head. Elisa did in this situation, and I ended up following her out to Chicago, to Wheaton College, and I've lived there ever since. So, and I'm glad to tell you, in case you're wondering, that it all worked out really well, and she's now married to my roommate, and they live happily in Texas. <laughs> that was a joke. And it's true, it's all true. And it it is true too, everything I said, including the part where I said it worked out really well. Because you know, sometimes we have a plan and God has a plan and ours doesn't matter. And I I don't have time to go into it now. If you wanna hear about it, come up afterwards, get a book, I'll tell you the story. I come to the bird box table over lunch and I'll tell you the story there. But it really did work out for the best. And I've learned through experiences such as that to trust God in much greater things, much greater things like the challenges that we're facing today. Look around us today. Nice transition. do you see the transition? I just kind of moved right in a- look, a... look around us today. The crises that we're facing. Our planet. I work with a... I have a friend who I used to work a lot with named Dr. Matthew Sleeth. I heard he spoke in chapel a couple years ago too. And he often says that he believes as, a, as an emergency room physician for many years, he believes that the greatest problem we're facing in the world today is that It's dying. and we're inheriting that. Long after our parents are gone, most of us are still going to be here. And we're going to be dealing with a world that continues to move on a trajectory of ill health and death. That's kind of sobering. That's kind of unnerving. Honestly, that's kind of discouraging. And it can make us cynical. It's not easy to care about the environment, to care about God's creation today. Because a lot of the time, the news we hear isn't good news. I woke up this morning and I, I looked at the news. Time magazine article was talking about, we were just talking about this actually, talking about a huge methane gas leak off a natural gas drilling platform somewhere off of the coast of Europe. It's huge, it's much bigger than the Gulf oil spill. The problem is methane's a gas, you can't see it, it just disappears into the atmosphere, so you really don't hear or you don't know about it. And on one hand, it doesn't really affect directly, at least not immediately, the ocean. But when that methane goes up into the atmosphere, it has a much greater warming effect than carbon dioxide does. Much greater warming effect, even though it doesn't last as long. In the atmosphere as carbon dioxide does. and so we have this huge methane uh, leak going into the atmosphere. And I read down to the bottom of the article, and it said the equivalent, the amount of methane being released into the atmosphere from that one leak, is the equivalent of adding an additional three hundred thousand cars to the road every day. Well, I mean three hundred thousand cars for the you know driving on the road. And I thought. Well, I ride my bike to church so that I don't drive. That's my contribution to help save the planet. And here's this leak that's doing the equivalent of... I mean, th- that just erased everything I've been trying to do. It can be discouraging, huh? When we're faced with problems these bi- this big. But I hope at the end of the day, we're not discouraged. That discouragement doesn't have the last word. Because what we just celebrated, what we just remembered, going through the Passion, going through Holy Week, As Christ, we follow Christ into Jerusalem. As we follow him through the Last Supper, into the Garden. As he was betrayed, arrested, as he was put on trial, as he was mocked, as he was tortured, as he was put on the cross. And that's what we live today a lot of time, a brokenness inside us, a brokenness inside the world. It's hard, it's heavy, and I tell you, I come to you a very broken person. A very tired person, frankly. There's just so much to do and so much mess. And I can barely get control of the mess in my own self let alone try to do anything about the mess in the rest of the world. But the cross is not where we end. The cross is where we come. And it's at the foot of the cross that we lay our burdens down and we look to Jesus, the Lion but the Lamb of God, who died for the sins of this world. And just as the cross is not where we end up in our faith, the cross is not where this world ends up, this world may be dying, but that's not the last word, because in the hope of the resurrection, in the hope of the empty tomb, we too do not need to be despair. To, to not, we too do not need to despair, because the great promise is that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is still at work, and the God who sent his Son to die is not about to give up on us now. So I'm asked a lot of the time when it comes to creation care and the crises that we're facing today. What, what drives me? What's at the core of my faith? Why do I care? And I tell you, when it comes down to it, you know, and I grew up a missionary kid, so I experienced drought conditions, water shortage. I see what environmental pollution does to human health and what biodiversity loss and deforestation does The places. I mean, you want to see what deforestation does. Just talk to your friends from Haiti. There's a country that is struggling to recover For a number of reasons, and there is a lot of corruption in the government. But they don't have a natural resource base. You see what's going on in the world. I worked in Lake Tanganyika in Tanzania. It's one of the great rift valley lakes. Their fisheries are collapsing because of a warming climate over that region that corresponds to the warming climate around the globe. The fisheries are collapsing. It's not a matter of, is climate change happening, or when's it going to start having an effect. It's a matter of, they can't catch fish today. And these are, this is one of the poorest nations in the world, and they are starving. I was on these fishing beaches. I saw it. I talked to the fishermen. I see what's going on. We can see what's going on. We are more connected than we've ever been. We might not experience it in this country because we're so well insulated and because we have our supermarkets, and our restaurants, and our power companies. We can switch on the lights, and the electricity comes on, the lights come on. We can turn the tap, and the water comes out. Actually, I was in the hotel this morning, I turned on the tap, and the water didn't come out. Immediately, I thought, what is going on? Then I turned it on a little further, and the water came out. We're accustomed to that, but that's not most of the rest of the world. And here's what it comes down to for me, seeing all this, and trying to make sense of it with my faith. Because Jesus... My relationship with Jesus is ultimately the most important thing in my life. Without it, I would not have life. And it really comes down to this. Jesus, when he was asked what is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. I cannot love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength unless I am absolutely serious about taking care of what he made of what he sustains, of what he loves, and of what he is in the process of redeeming. I can't do it. It's just the idea is preposterous. You know, in the church, and I grew up in the church, we often debate creation versus evolution, creation versus evolution. And uh, I work with a lot of environmentalists who wouldn't consider themselves people of faith and certainly not followers of Jesus. And I keep hearing people come up to me and say, you know, I don't get you church people. You fight so hard to claim that God made this world, your God made this world, and then you don't take care of it. That makes no sense to us. It kind of invalidates your whole argument. I cannot love God unless I love and care for creation. But the second is like the first. I can't love my neighbor as myself unless I also take care of the very creation that we all depend on for survival. Sometimes I ask people to draw on a whiteboard, you know, especially in ecology classes, ecology, the study of relationships. And we thought, what's, what's the relationship between people, creation, and God? And without fail, there's a, there's a category for people on the board, a circle, there's a category for God, and there's a category for creation. Everybody's drawing lines between the two to symbol, symbolize relationships. But what we often forget is that that, that category for creation, we're not apart from that. We're distinct within that, but we're not apart from that. We are a part of creation, and we depend on water, power, food, a healthy planet for our very survival. And most of the people around the world today don't get to experience the same comforts that we do here. And a lot of our lifestyle, the reason we can live like this, is because a lot of people around the world can't. That's a justice problem. Creation care for me is an issue of Christian discipleship. It's what it means to try to follow my risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, faithfully today. And it's a part of Christian witness. It's a part of living our faith out. So that not only are we proclaiming the gospel and proclaiming the living, risen Christ, but we're also living it out by how we shop, by how we eat, by how we throw away our stuff, by what we care about and how we advocate and what we do. This evening later on is it 8 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Remember the second number. 7 o'clock. Representatives from Mass Audubon are going to come and they're going to bring birds. And it's going to be a great time. I work for Mass Audubon. They're a great organization. And they're going to come to a Christian campus. And I hope what they see will be remarkable to them. What they see in us. The way we treat them. The way we convey our care and our support for what they're doing. It's a great opportunity for witness. I want to make one theological, biblical point. There's a lot that we could talk about. We could talk about Genesis 2.15. We could talk about the Psalms. We could talk about Job. My goodness. Do you know there's an entire chapter in the Bible devoted to one species of animal? Read the last couple chapters of Job. You'll find it. It's a remarkable book. There's a lot we could talk about. But right now, I just want to focus on one theological idea, and then we'll talk application. And that is... uh, that the crisis that we're facing today, water crisis, food crisis, energy crisis, pollutions, natural disasters, war conflicts, all these things that are so interconnected with our social and environmental crises, these issues that we're trying to address are really symptoms. they manifested symptoms of a deeper problem. I want to read to you a quote from a guy named Gus Speth. He is one of the preeminent... Environmentalists and scientists of our parents' generation. He was for many years the dean of the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies at Yale, uh, which is arguably, unless you're from Duke, the leading environmental graduate school in the country. And James Speth, Gus Speth, is not a Christian. At least he makes no claim to faith. But here's a quote. Here's something he said to a group of pastors a few years ago when they were meeting. He said, I used to think that if we threw enough good science at the environmental problems, we could solve them. I was wrong. The main threats to the environment today are not biodiversity loss, pollution, and climate change, as I once thought. They are selfishness and greed and pride. And for that, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation, something we scientists don't know much about. Maybe it's time for us scientists, including those of us who are not religious, work together with people of faith to help that along I don't know if you believe that God speaks to people who don't acknowledge him but I think I do after hearing a statement like that it's not hard to see the truth in what he's saying but it's remarkable that it would come from someone like him who's dedicated his life to the environmental movement and reaches towards the end of his career he's since retired and says you know we got it wrong The issues, the technical issues we're trying to address are symptoms of a deeper problem, a moral problem, a problem of pride and selfishness and greed. And you could tack things on like apathy and who knows what else you want to add on to that. But those, and that's not even where we should stop to because those moral problems, those moral issues that he has identified are really symptoms of a deeper problem which we understand to be the problem of sin. And the Bible talks a lot about this. The Bible describes a world created in Genesis 1 and 2 that is in a state of what theologians call shalom. The Hebrew word for peace, but it means so much more than peace. Shalom means right relationships, wholeness, flourishing, where the world was created and there were right relationships between God and all His created order. Between people and God, we had a right relationship. Between us and the rest of creation, we were in a right relationship. Between creation and God, everything was existing in wholeness. Everything was flourishing. That's what, God intent- that's what God wants. And you know how the story goes. We disobeyed. We sinned against God. And because we sinned against God, we fractured our relationship with Him. We committed the first injustice. And because our relationship with God was fractured like a stack of dominoes, The relationship between us and each other were fractured. Remember what Adam said? The woman made me do it. Stupid. That doesn't work. The relationship within ourselves is fractured. That's why we have psychology and counseling today. They knew they were naked. They felt ashamed and they covered up. Our relationship with the ground was fractured and the ground itself was cursed. Romans 8 describes 2,000 years ago, what our science is quantifying today, that all creation is groaning because of our sin. And that's the bad news. But the good news is that God has been working, and God is not giving up on His plan. And the rest of the story of the scriptures is the story of God using a chosen people. Well, first he wipes the earth clean and starts with a family. But then God working through a chosen people, first a family, Abraham, that turns into a nation, Israel, and working through them to bless all the nations and to draw all people back to himself. And that culminates in sending his very only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And Jesus dying on the cross fixes Our sin substitutes himself in our place to pay our penalty so that our relationship with God is restored. And because our relationship with God is restored, that opens the door for all the other relationships to be restored as well. And that's what the Apostle Paul is referring to in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, where he writes, speaking of Jesus, He... Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross the same things that the same all things that christ created the same all things that christ sustains are the very same the apostle paul is clear the very same all things that christ is reconciling back to himself through his blood shed on the cross this has been traditionally it's been a a very well accepted part of Orthodox Christianity is something that we have tend to have forgotten in the last 50 years in America for some reason But it's the point that Jesus Christ died because of our sin But he didn't just die for us We're the reason he had to die But he died to reconcile all things back to himself. He died so that all the effects of our sin will be overturned everything that has been impacted because of our sin is to be redeemed and restored back to God through Jesus Christ and his blood is shed on the cross. That is the good news. And so when we face environmental challenges like the crises that we're looking at, like the water crisis, like the food crisis, like the biodiversity crisis, like climate change, we have to remember that these are sin problems and the only solution that I understand there is for sin is Jesus Christ. And that's why we can't not be doing this stuff. Because there is no one else who will bring the name of Christ to bear on the problems of the world today besides his church. That's us. That's the task of every generation. That's our task as a generation. Some applications, some implications... This has implications on, I would suggest, three fronts. Everything I say is going to come in a series of three because I'm a pastor's kid. This is how it works. The first is the personal, our lifestyle. What do we do? How do we eat? How do we travel? How do we... All the decisions we make as we live, we have a footprint on this earth. They call it the environmental footprint or the ecological footprint. It's the impact that we're having on the earth by virtue of us being alive and living. And that's not a bad thing. That's how we were created to... We are created to have an impact, but how can we have a good impact? How can can our footprint be one that pleases God and doesn't focus on ourselves? So a lot of times we talk about how can we have a smaller footprint? How can we think about those decisions? Here's some of the ways that I thought about those decisions, and some of them are kind of kooky. I don't know. You just take one step, you take the next step, and then you see where it goes. But I started, I switched out my light bulbs. I bike to church. I bike most of the places within a five-mile radius now. And I take a little bit more time to do that, but it's also good for me because I also like to eat. So it offsets that, amen. Thank you. And I recycle, and I compost, and I do all these personal things in my life, and then sometimes I branch out and I do something a little crazy. Not crazy. If you try it, it's not crazy. I got my mom to do it, so she'd be embarrassed if she was here to hear me tell you that. Have you heard of, if it's yellow, let it mellow, if it's brown, flush it down? Just saying. Give it a shot. See what you think. I grew up in a part of the world where people didn't have the luxury of washing their toilets every time they went to the bathroom. That was good water. Think about it. I also, anyone here dumpster dive for food? Oh, you guys are missing out. I eat so much better now that I dumpster dive than before. Because the stuff you find in the dumpster, especially in the cooler months because it doesn't go bad as quickly, that's some good quality stuff. You know, I tend to buy store brand stuff to save money. That's good stuff in the dumpster. I eat well now. You could probably tell. If you saw me five years ago, you could definitely tell that I eat well now. Think about creatively, think about the ways you are having a negative impact and try to reduce the negative impact. And then don't just have a smaller footprint, but have a bigger handprint. What are the ways you can have a positive impact and pursue that? So that's our personal. But what about communal? What about our corporate, collective lives? On your campus. Are you guys still freaked out about the whole flushing your poop thing? If you're freaked out, you have to try it. We ready to move on? Okay. Okay. What about our corporate lives? What can you do on a campus together to care for God's creation? This is a beautiful campus. This is a campus that has been doing so much for so many years in caring for the land and planting trees. And this afternoon, you'll have an opportunity to build, build, to build bird boxes, bluebird boxes, and then to take them to a reserve and to install them and to provide habitat and homes for bluebirds. A beautiful part of God's creation. Be part of that. Do that. That's definitely a part of it. One of the things I do, I live in an intentional community in a refugee neighborhood right now. All my neighbors are from Sudan and Congo and Burundi and Burma and Iraq and Iran. and It's a great neighborhood. It's a crazy neighborhood, but it's a great neighborhood. And we have a community garden. That's one of the things that I love about our neighborhood. We have a community garden because a lot of the people who are living here now were kicked off their land in the middle of war. Wars that were often fought over land. And now instead of fighting over land, they can come together with people from cultures and faiths and backgrounds all completely different from their own. And they can come together and they can work together for the welfare of their community and for the flourishing of the land. That's our community garden. It doesn't always work as well as you'd think it would work. You know, that's the ideal. It gets kind of messy. Sometimes we have garden wars and people's plots get destroyed and we have all-night prayer vigils and all sorts of other stuff and police have to get called out and it just gets really nuts. Police got called out once and uh, my landlady was freaking out. She called us. She's like, it's a garden! It's a garden! They called the police! It's just a garden! What? You gotta fix it! And so I run out to fix whatever's going on in the garden between two people fighting over who got to water whose plot. And I'm running to the garden to try to defuse this little mini crisis in our community. And I see a policewoman, a police officer. Ma'am, uh, are, you, are you here for the garden? And she said, garden? What garden? Say, Oh, did they call the police for a dispute in the garden? She said, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Well, my colleague took care of that a little bit ago. I'm here for the homemade bomb. Oh, oh homemade bomb. Right. <laughs> I'll leave you to that. I'm going to go back to my spot. It's a fun community. I can tell you many more stories about what it's like to live... And community like that. With people from all around the world. But it's great. It's great. But as we come together to take care of the garden, we're building relationships. You know those two people who called the cops who were fighting over the garden that day? They ended up really good friends. Their kids ended up really getting to know each other and play together a lot. And they ended up sharing food and... I don't know how it happened. I didn't do anything. The police sure didn't fix it. Maybe God did it. Maybe coming together around the garden that we had prayed over did it. Maybe that's what creation care looks like when it's lived out. But it's not just the communal or the corporate or the collective. It's also the political. And this is what gets us into the most trouble, isn't it? This can get tricky. But here's the the facts. Here are the facts. The crises we face today are not going to be solved by us changing our light bulbs. We need to do that. That's part of being faithful to God. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what we're expected to do, be faithful to God. But part of being faithful to God in a country like this is to advocate for just laws that care for the poor, that care for the marginalized, whether they're in our neighborhood, whether they're my neighbors, or whether they live somewhere else in this country, or whether they live somewhere else in the world and we're having an impact on them. That's our responsibility. And that's why the organization I work for, EEN, the Evangelical Environmental Network, and you can check us out at creationcare.org, all one word, creationcare.org. We recently completed a big Mercury campaign to support some of the EPA regulations that just came out on air toxics. The EPA was going to regulate some of the air pollution that was currently being spewed out by coal-fired power plants that wasn't being regulated. And we can quantify the impacts it's having on human health. number of children is give, is... is causing asthma to a number of people dying from respiratory diseases and cancer, mercury, brain damage. I mean, you could just... And we just completed a campaign where we stood very firmly and very vocally in support of the mercury standards. And at the signing of the bill, our president was invited to come and speak. And he shared why we believe caring for God's creation and supporting mercury standards is a pro-life issue because it impacts the unborn. It impacts fetuses, developing babies, more than anybody else. And right now, and this is something that I'd be interested in talking to you guys more about over lunch or whenever you come find me, we're just launching a group called Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. Because our generation is going to be the one more greatly impacted by climate change than anyone before us. And if we're going to pay the highest price, we should fight the hardest to do something about it. And so we're coming together, people in our generation from around the country, To raise our voices on climate change. So, the personal, the corporate, the collective, and the political, these are all areas in which we're being called to be faithful. And so, I'd encourage you now, as we close and as we leave, to reflect and think about one thing. Because I understand you can do everything and burn out. I'm not asking you to do everything, I'm asking you to think what is, you can't do everything, but we can all do something. What is this something that God is calling me to do on this issue? Think about that. Pray about that. And then take that next step. And when you take that step, take the step after that. And when you take that step, take the step after that until the next step. Keep taking those steps until the next step brings you before the throne of God and you hear by His mercy and grace, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, may He find us and may He find our generation faithful. Amen.